Hello, and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups, where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show, where this week we're doing something a little bit different. We usually niche down to a single person or question, and we are doing that, but in a throwback sort of way. So I interviewed Clubhouse co-founder and CEO Paul Davison at Disrupt this past October, and we're bringing that full conversation to those of you who couldn't make it or just want to listen to it again. So stay tuned. We'd get into a bunch of things. Of course, what happened to Clubhouse, the app that was all over the place and then went really quiet, into competition and that $4 billion valuation, and also just how social platforms and social patterns work. Interestingly enough, this wasn't Paul's first foray into a viral app. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the show. Bye. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for coming on your way to work. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Uh, We're taking questions, so make sure to do that while we talk. But I mean, I want to start with the fact that you have a history of capturing ideas ahead of their big moment and kind of following them through to this rocket ship. And I'm not even talking about Clubhouse, I'm talking about Highlight, one of your first companies that really caught the attention of the public and the love of it. So let's start there. What's your your strategy when you spot a moment? Are you really good at predicting things? No, I I, um, I really love building social apps. And so Highlight, Highlight was kind of crazy. Highlight was a location-based yeah. social network, and it helped you learn more about the people around you. So you'd install the app, and, and you'd sign up, and, and um, it would tell you, put the phone away, we'll, we'll let you know when someone interesting is nearby. And so as you're walking down the street, it would buzz and say, your friend's in that coffee shop right there, or that guy knows your brother. And, you know, story for another time, but... I didn't actually realize how thematically similar it was to Clubhouse until someone pointed it out to me on Clubhouse. It's all about people, right? The the people in our lives are are the most important thing in the world. The people we become friends with, the people we marry, the people we have conversations with, the people we do things with. Nothing affects our lives and our happiness more than the people around us. But it's crazy how inefficient the world works today when it comes to figuring out who you want to spend your time with. And so Highlight was really aimed at that. And I think Clubhouse is aimed at that too. So for better or for worse, I keep coming back to this same thing. And it's just something I've been interested in for a long time. People change their minds so often, which I don't need to tell you. But I mean, we saw, we saw it with the pandemic, everyone staying at home. And really, when a lot of people got introduced to Clubhouse was this moment where they were like, yeah, like, let's stay inside and get on this app and talk to our friends. It felt right. Had this huge viral moment. And things have changed. So talk to me about kind of when things went sideways and when people changed their mind. So I think that, you know, we we started working on this product in late 2019. And I think when social products take off, there tends to be a lot of luck, a lot of timing, and certain reasons why certain products took off when they did, right? So like with Twitter, it was SMS. You know, it was all SMS-based in the early days, and, and people started to get unlimited data plans. With Facebook, everyone got a mobile phone, and they had phone numbers, but no one knew what anyone's phone number was on campus, and so that was a big need that, that it served. With Instagram, we suddenly got cameras that were good enough on our phones, and, and so timing matters a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I think when we launched Clubhouse, it was probably fortunate that there are a lot of people who are feeling an acute need to connect with other people. But my fundamental belief is that, you know, COVID is temporary, but remote living is permanent. We're entering a different world. And if you look at history, behavior that we do offline tends to move online over time. Right, like with shopping, we used to go to a mall and just hope that we could find a shirt that we liked. And now we have Amazon and Shopify and DTC. With 
business meetings. We used to fly to New York for a two-hour meeting, and, and now most of our meetings are on Zoom just a few years later. With dating, 10 years ago, Tinder launched. Yeah. And there was a big stigma around online dating back then. And now, 10 years later, half of all marriages are through online dating. And with Clubhouse, we think about friendship and socializing, hanging out with friends, having great conversations. Like, who in this room doesn't like to have a great conversation? I, I think we all do. Who doesn't like hanging out with friends and meeting their friends? I think we all do. It's harder to do that when the world starts to go remote. And so our belief is that as the world opens up, a couple things will happen. One is there's gonna be more of an acute need to have a place where you can go and be among friends and meet their friends and have great conversations. I also think that an audio product like Clubhouse is designed to be hands-free. It's designed so that you can multitask. And what we've seen is a lot more people using Clubhouse when they're driving, when they're at the gym, when they're at the market, when they're at work. 25% of our users use it in the shower. You know, so, so I actually think that, yes, there are things that help products get to escape velocity. There's, there's luck, there's timing, and, and I'm grateful for that. But I think the trends that we're building towards are permanent. What did that early velocity do when pursuing these trends? Like, what difference did it make to have this very hyped up, exciting product that everyone was talking about on tech Twitter? I mean, did that change the way you built in those? I mean, it, it was like last year. So I want to say early days, like <laughs> last year. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the nice thing about having done this a few times before, like you mentioned, is that you tend not to get caught up in your own hype. And, you know, when things are going like gangbusters, you sort of say, yeah, yeah, but that's going to calm down. When, when things are hard, you say, yeah, yeah, but, but we're going to figure this out. And you take a really long-term view on things. And that's what we tried to do. When Rohan and I started the company in our basements, it was just two of us for quite a long time, actually. When we did our Series A, the whole company was two of us. I think over the next six months after we raised our Series A, we scaled up to seven or eight people. And our philosophy was always, well, let's not raise money unless we have strong conviction that this is going to work until we really need it. Let's keep the team small as long as we can mm -hmm. so that we can move faster. And the period you're talking about was, you know, oftentimes with social platforms, they go through this initial period where they, they go through hypergrowth. And, and we certainly did that. There was a period of time where we're growing 10x every month. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the effect that that has on the system is, well, there are a few things that happen. One is, it stresses a lot of the infrastructure, right? You have to scale really, really, really quickly just to keep the service up because everything is breaking. You're getting red error messages everywhere. People try and come up on stage to talk and it takes 10 minutes for a notification to go out. I mean, we're not even localized on iOS today. Back then, we didn't even have language filtering. So, you know, you have this app where we're trying to stop people from joining, but people are figuring out how to join. They're setting up public spreadsheets and chaining invites, and it goes to the number one spot in the whole app store in Japan and Hong Kong and, and Russia, Germany and Brazil and Italy and everywhere, and, and you're just scrambling to keep things up. So that's one impact. You've got you've to scale the team as fast as you possibly can. A lot of people who joined during that period are going to be joining just because they heard about it, you know, through some, some article or, or because it was getting a lot of hype, getting a lot of buzz, and so they want to check it out. And they have a really bad experience when they join because everything is broken, nothing works. For months after that, you have people joining and, and the relevance of their hallway is hurt, they can't find good rooms, and you have this, you know, two-month spike in sensor tower downloads that kind of like shapes the narrative there, you know, from there on. 
So I don't think hype is good. I don't think extreme hyper growth is good for a company. The ideal is to grow at a steady pace. You know, the, the fortunate thing is that during that period, millions of people managed to make their way through the madness. And, and a lot of those people started to form the core of our community today. Mm -hmm. And so it's in infinite variety. You know, it, it's people from, it's truckers, people from the pizza industry, people who are interested in physics and poetry and philosophy and obscure subgenres of music, people talking about travel, people, people doing sing-alongs. I mean, it's, it's not the tech community that you probably saw in the first few months. It's kind of moved beyond that. A lot of rooms have moved into private venues and semi-private venues. So we're fortunate for that period. But at the same time, like you can't get caught up in your own hype and you have to just really take a long-term view on things. So where we are right now is we have years of cash in the bank. We have the most incredible community that I've ever, ever had in my entire life, ever been part of in my entire life, the best team I've ever worked with in my life. And we try and just stay heads down building and, and just making it better and better every week. So I think hype's not a good thing. And, and experience kind of helps you understand that and not get too caught up in it. Yeah, I mean, I have so many follow-ups, but one natural one is for a lot of founders, a hype seems like a dream, right? Because it's exciting, everyone's talking about you. I know you said you kept your head down, but I also wonder what you think contributed to the hype, because in my perspective, invite-only played a role. Having, you know, Kevin Hart, Elon Musk, on in rooms played a role. Would you do things differently looking back and we, not do that? We didn't do those things. The community did those things. So the only reason it was an invite model is because the company was two of us. <laughs> and, we, and we wanted to grow it in a measured way. Because when you grow communities in a measured way, you know, things don't break as much. And I think it's also important to the experience that it grows through invites. It grows through friends. If you think about the real world, the real world operates around friends of friends. And if you think about products that take offline behavior online, there are a lot of products out there for small groups of five friends that are kind of static and private. Those are messaging apps. There are a number of great products for big admin-driven community management, mm -hmm. you know, Discord and Slack and, and, and Facebook groups and things like that. Clubhouse is kind of in the middle. It operates around friends of friends. And I think that's how the real world operates. If you think about every good social experience that you've had, it's probably been with a handful of people that you knew and then a handful of people that you didn't know, but you kind of trusted because they were friends with your friends or they went to your school or they worked at your company or they went to the same bar that you went to because they lived in your neighborhood. And Clubhouse, in my view, is taking that experience and, and bringing that online. And so we wanted to grow through an invite model, not to seem exclusive. We've always wanted to build Clubhouse for everyone, but we wanted to grow through an invite model so we could grow at a more measured pace and so that when people came in, they immediately saw friends. They immediately saw friends of friends. And, and they had a great experience. And as to you know, why that generated hype, I think the first reason it generated hype was because people really, really love that experience. If you come in, to, you get invited into this thing, you come in and you see your friends hanging out there without you and you didn't even realize that they were hanging out and you see other people that you know and, and other people that are interested in the same stuff that you're interested in and you join in and you talk with them for hours, that's a really incredible experience. You know, I'm sure you've had real world social experiences like that. And so at the time, we didn't have a website, we didn't have any social media accounts, we weren't in the app store, we politely declined all press. I was going to say, you yeah. weren't doing any press interviews. That's because we didn't want hype. It's because we wanted to stay heads down and, mm -hmm. and just build. We didn't know if this thing was going to scale. 
But people started talking about it because they're having a really good experience on it. They're spending 50 hours a week in the app. Mm -hmm. You know, even when uh, we started to get more interest from investors, we sort of said, oh, thank you, we really appreciate that. We don't need money right now because we had raised a small seed round and the company was just two of us. And, and internally, our philosophy was always, well, you know, it seems like something is working here, but if it continues to work, we'll continue to have more opportunities to raise money. If we get new data that makes us think it's not going to work, then we don't want to have a bunch of someone's money. And we're not capital constrained, so let's just stay heads down building. And so we were in our basements, like, you know, 12, 14, 18 hours a day just working on stuff, like kids thumping on the ceiling above us, um, you know, and, and we're in the product with people, talking with them while we're building it. And, and they would verbally report a bug, and we would go fix it and verbally tell them it was fixed. And, and it's really nice to have a direct relationship with the community. And the hype that came, came because, one, it was a really great experience. I'm sure the invite-only model intrigued people, but that was never our intention. And all of the celebrity stuff that you're talking about, that just happened. People in the community hosted rooms, and they brought these people yeah. on. And um, Forbes it, it reported kind of something. spirals upward, right? Forbes reported something. I mean, feel free to correct yeah. live. I'd love that. What's this going to be? They said that Andreessen won the round because they got Kevin Hart in a clubhouse room. And I might be paraphrasing lightly, so tell me what happened. I think that's silly. Okay, so celebrities were not part of your strategy. Not at all. Absolutely not. Would you have rather them not come? <laughs> I'm grateful that help, so right? I'm grateful that people want to use the product. I think yeah. that's great, right? And Clubhouse does have two sides to it. It's got a public side and a private side. You know, um, and, and think about other social platforms. I, I think that can be a really healthy thing in the long term. Like look at Instagram. Something like 40% of accounts are public, and it's brands, celebrities, influencers, and they want reach and branded content and monetization and analytics, and, and, and that's great. The other 60% of people, rough numbers, go private, and they just use the app to share photos and videos with their friends and keep up with what they're doing, and they don't care about how many followers they have. They care about who followed them and who mm -hmm. DM'd them and what they said, and the things that they do there affect their real-life social interactions, right? You'll run into a friend and, see, and say, like, oh, that vacation you went on looked amazing, and did you see that that he got engaged, and it just works, right? I follow some of these accounts and some of the, these accounts, and they complement each other. Clubhouse is similar. Right? You have broadcast, you have celebrity rooms and things like that, people that want as many followers as they can get. But I think a much bigger part of Clubhouse, the core of Clubhouse, is people hanging out. It's, it's about friendship, deepening friendships, making new friends, sharing ideas, having great conversations. And like I was saying, more and more of those rooms are happening in private every day. And when we look at the product, that's what drives the magical experience. Like we talk with people all the time. We get stories from people all the time, texts, photos, videos from people who met their spouse on Clubhouse, who just flew across the country to meet their 15 best friends in the world who are all Clubhouse people. Rohan and I do New Year's orientation every Wednesday where we host a live room and we welcome all the new members and we tell them how the app works and what the buttons do. And, we still do and that. We still do that, yeah. Okay. And we do town hall every Tuesday and and I used to be on Sundays and I used to be like, come on. I know, we, we moved it, yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't want the team to have to work yeah. weekends all the time. But like, we do those rooms and people come up. This guy, Tariq, came up um, a while back and he lives in the Maldives. And he was just giddy. He was saying that everyone in the Maldives has now gotten on Clubhouse. And for the first time in his life, he's meeting people from all of the other islands and they laugh and they talk and they're making friends. And it's on some archipelago on the other side of the world. And we don't even know this is happening, but we hear it over and over and over again from the community. When you talk to everyone, the millions of people in the community who just love, love, love Clubhouse, who are on it seven days a week. The, the average listener is, they spend 75 minutes a day in the app. 30 or 40% of them are talking. 
And when you talk with them about why they love Clubhouse, it's not listening to a live podcast. Mm -hmm. It's the people that they've met, the friends they've made, the relationships that they've formed and, and deepened. And so, yes, I think broadcast is great. And, and in the long term, we want to support both of those use cases. But I think the core of Clubhouse is friendship and community and people. The challenge and the honestly interesting part of it is how do you prioritize that and how do you make sure it's a fluid and evolving app for people who yeah. do change their mind and do use it in the way that you described. Yeah. So what's your advice to founders who are maybe trying to rethink the medium in which they want to build, build a company? Yeah, so there are a few things I would say. One is they tend not to invent new behaviors. They tend to take things that we are wired to do as humans, that, that we have fundamentally shown we, we enjoy doing, and they just make it dramatically easier to do it with anyone in the world, right? And this predates the internet. If you think about the telephone, you think about video, it used to be that we liked seeing people and talking to people. You could only talk to people who were within earshot. You could only see things that were line of sight. Then we got technology that completely changed how the world was wired. And you could have these relationships with people on the other side of the world. If you think about every social platform that has ever emerged, they don't come along very often. They tend to come along when there's a new medium that emerges on the internet, the durable ones, right? And the ones that work, they tend to be very simple. There tends to be a single core interaction that makes them work. Mm -hmm. And the company that is fully focused on that medium tends to win, right? Historically, at least. Like with text, it was Twitter. With photos, it was Instagram. With video, it was YouTube and now TikTok. And, and we think spoken audio is going to be the same. So I guess what I would say is look for, look for inflection points, you know, sort of why now points where, where new things are happening. For us, it was AirPods, Alexa, second order things like Texas Beach getting good enough, machine translation getting good enough, remote living. Look for inflection points and try to recreate a core human behavior and recognize that you're not going to make your product work by building in a lot of secondary and tertiary features. It's one core feature that usually makes it work. And as uh, you know, when you're getting started as a founder, it's pretty easy to trick yourself into thinking that you have product market fit or you can tweak your way into it. And, and I, I think that usually turns out not to be true. Do you think Clubhouse has hit product market fit? I think we have extreme product market fit with one community. Yeah. And my view is that product market fit is not a binary thing. I think that as a company grows, it needs to get product market fit again and again and again at each new level of scale in order to continue its growth trajectory. Take something like Facebook. Facebook got product market fit within Harvard, and then it needed to do it at every college. And then growth started to stall out, and it, it asked itself, should we go beyond colleges? And it was a controversial decision at the time, but they did, and they managed to hit growth again. And then they, they managed to grow to their next stage through acquisition, through things like WhatsApp and Instagram. And then you've seen what's happened with their growth trajectory. And um, you know, mobile happened along the way there too, right? Mobile came along and Facebook tried to build on top of HTML5 and it was causing all sorts of problems. And they had to go all in and say, we are making a transition to be a mobile company and they had to make that platform shift. And now they're working to do that again to become a metaverse company. So I think you see it with all social platforms. The single core interaction makes them work. Mm -hmm. Growth tends to be driven by a series of continuous optimizations that happen over time. And that's punctuated by these discontinuities that come along every six to 24 months, right? With Facebook, newsfeed was a discontinuity. With Snapchat and Instagram, stories were a discontinuity. So I think that Clubhouse has extreme product market fit with this one community, but as communities grow, they get too big and you lose the intimacy. And, and 
you know, the, the quality of your hallway will suffer and you won't be able to find the people that you want to talk with. You won't be able to have these intimate conversations. They need to be able to undergo this sort of mitosis, right? And, and we talk about this a lot internally. If you think about it, that is the way that communities organically grow. And it happens in the real world and it happens I online. Can't fake it. Yeah, and, and like imagine you go to a house party. If you're one of the first four people there, you walk in and there's one group of people talking in the living room. If you get there an hour later, there's six group of people, groups of people. There's one in the balcony, there's one in the kitchen, there's one in the living room because we split off so we can retain that intimacy. With online products, think about the earliest days of the internet. There'd be like a music forum. Everyone who's interested in music would go there and talk and they'd be really excited, but as it got big, it would split off and you'd have the hip hop forum and you'd have the classical music forum and as those got too big, they would split off. So I think for us to really get the product right at this next level of scale, I think we have to allow these communities to undergo mitosis and, and to split off and, and to become not just a single community, but a network of many different communities. And that's what we're really focused on right now. Okay. Uh, so, so that's how I kind of think about it. You have to do it at each new level of scale. I want to get to audience questions in a minute, so get them in. But before that, yeah. I want to end with competition. So the huge rumor that Twitter wanted to buy Clubhouse for $4 billion. How do we feel about that number? Can't comment <laughs> on any conversations about anything. Um, I guess what I would say... Twitter, so Twitter did build, build a competitor, right? Twitter, Twitter Spaces. And that, I think, from... It's, it's the largest competitor. It, on outside looking in, it looks like it's directly going uh, for who Clubhouse is going for. After talking today, I can tell you uh, are targeting a smaller, more intimacy-focused versus general network. But you talked to me about Twitter Spaces and how it's changed the long-term vision for Clubhouse. I think there are a lot of companies that have launched uh, competitive features, right? And my belief... X, everything. <laughs> there, there are a lot, yeah. My belief is that focus is really important. Like, if you look at history, the company that is... Like, like these new platforms, they don't come along very often. That tends to happen when there's a new medium. And the winner, historically, has been a company that's fully focused on that medium. And, and why is that, right? I believe the reason for that is that when I use a product, the way that I use it is very much a function of that medium. If I'm using a short form text product, if I'm using a photos product, I tend to open it when I have 20 seconds to spare, I have two minutes to spare, I'm walking down the hallway, I'm waiting in line for a cup of coffee, I don't have AirPods in, I'm not looking to participate. The set of people I'm connected to are the people who are really good at that medium and it differs from medium to medium. The primary discovery service that the app opens to is fully dedicated to that medium. If it's on some secondary or tertiary screen, usage numbers plummet. If it's not the company's sole reason for being, mm -hmm. they tend to deprioritize it when, when times get hard for them. And we've already seen a number of these competitors that you're talking about deprioritize their efforts here. The brand, the business model, everything about it is fully focused on that medium. So I think that's why it's played out that way historically. And I think that's how it will play out for audio, you know, spoken audio. And, and we'll see if I'm right, but, but, but that's what we believe. The other thing I would say is that a lot of the products that you're talking about are very focused on broadcast. Uh, Twitter is a broadcast product. And I think what they're building is something that is targeting broadcast. Clubhouse at its core is about participation and conversations and, and friendship and you know, getting together with friends, friends of friends, people you respect, and having these off-the-record conversations and, and sharing ideas and learning. And I think it's a very different use case. 
I think explaining to people that I guess the difference in Clubhouse's vision yeah. today versus when they were first introduced to it is seems like the biggest challenge ahead. But that, that's kind of one of the first questions I wanted to get to. It's, which is, you know, a lot of people, there's the headlines of the rise and fall of Clubhouse or what happened to Clubhouse or the hype is gone now, where is it? When we talk about how competitors have changed the landscape, what is kind of your response to it or even like your final comment on this fall, this idea that Clubhouse fell? I think that... Um we take a really long-term view on things, right? We had a couple months of insane, silly, unsustainable 10x a month growth. And I think a lot of people who say that are probably looking at those two months and saying, how come you can't go 10x a month in perpetuity? Yeah. Or they're how many saying, x do we have now? Can you tell me? What's that? How many x a month are we going now? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think like a lot of people are probably looking at those two months. A lot of people are either saying, well, my friends aren't using it, or you know, they came in in the months that followed that period and had a bad experience because right. they looked at their hallway and it, and it felt like a lot of noise, and, and it was. Like I was saying, like those months can really, can really uh, stress the infrastructure. I think what people might not appreciate is that Clubhouse has kind of moved into all of these different verticals, and they probably don't, don't appreciate the, the size of the community and the activity and the diversity and the range and all the conversations that are happening. I think they don't understand that a lot of these conversations are, are happening in, in private and semi-private rooms right now. And so we just take a really long-term view of things. Again, I'm fortunate that we started this company when I was 40 instead of 20, because you, you gain a lot of perspective. And we have years of cash in the bank. Yeah. We have a very long-term vision. I, I really believe that behaviors that are offline tend to move online. Yeah. And, and I think that, that, again, COVID is temporary, remote living is permanent. And I think the way that we, the way that we meet people and, and feel a sense of presence with our friends and meet their friends, it's very underdeveloped right now. And I think technology can change that. So that's really what we're focused on. You know, we're, we're in the middle of this crazy journey and, you know, or, or I guess I should say closer to the beginning of it. And, and, and I just love it, you know, and, and we're just going to stay heads down and we're going to keep building. Let's end with rapid fire because we only yes. have three minutes left. Rapid All right, fire. well, okay. Uh, number one is how much runway do you have? We have years of runway. Do you have any specifics? I don't, but we have a lot of runway. Okay. <laughs> you guys were here when he said that. How do you beat the cold start problem? Oh, this is a very interesting thing. So... This is, this is not really really rapid. fast, though. But yeah. Okay, okay I'll, I'll try and go rapid fire. Um, so we're launching this new feature called Houses, which allows any person, any group, any community to create their own private clubhouse. It's members only. They choose who's going to be there. And we've been launching a bunch of them in beta, and they're really cool. And um, the, you're seeing crazy range. So the way you solve the cold start problem is you empower people to build their own communities and you ensure that when people join, they all get in a room together at the same time and have a magical experience. And then you connect them together over time. I'll take it. Why did it take so long to build the Android version? Was it intentional? Do you regret that late launch? Because our company was only two people. And you know, when we started growing at 10x a month, we were seven. And so we had to work as fast as we could to scale the team. The reason we started with iOS is because Rohan, my co-founder, knew iOS <laughs> more than he knew Android. And, and so... Um, in retrospect, I do wish that we had scaled the team earlier 
but I don't think it's realistic to expect that we, we never would have predicted that it would grow that fast. How many people are at Clubhouse today working for Clubhouse? We're just a little under 100. Okay, wow, yeah. that's a lot in one year, right? It's a lot yeah. to okay. scale in one year, yeah. Um, is there a VR solution coming for Clubhouse? I think VR is really interesting, but I think it's very far off. Okay. Um, the other one that I wanted to bring up was daily active users. That's a me question. I'm not going <laughs> to tell you that. Okay. <laughs> when will you tell me that? <laughs> um, I guess like your next funding round, I'll ask you that. How large does the domino effect have on a platform like Clubhouse, both internally and externally? Um, what do you mean the domino? Effect? I don't know what they mean by domino effect, actually. <laughs> I thought maybe it was something you'd know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> How do you prevent Clubhouse from becoming a zombie platform? How do you keep it scrappy? Now you're 100 people. So how do we make sure it stays, like it can keep growing fast? Because it's always the startups that end up competing with the, with, yeah. with the bigger companies. Um, do you mean as a company internally, or do you mean? No, just that's like a living, breathing app. Uh, how, how do we make sure it stays fast when it's updating its product? Yeah, so we ship updates fast. You know, so we ship pretty meaningful updates every week. And the way we do that is to hire a really great team and to just stay heads down, focused on the most important things. So we ship really fast. And the way that you grow is through the community. Like our job is to empower people as founders of, of houses on Clubhouse and, and, and as moderators of rooms to bring people together the way they want to bring people together. We firmly believe that. The world is not a monoculture. Clubhouse should not be one either. If you can focus on building the systems that allow people to bring people together the way they want to bring people together and they can grow through invites, you know, it's what you said, the, the cold start problem, if you get one network to tip, then you can get N networks to tip, right? It, it scales through product. It sounds like you kind of welcome competition in a way. Yeah, I think it's great. Well, thank you so much for your time. You have to come back. Thank you for with, having with, me. With all the numbers, but also the updates and the launches. It's such a pleasure to talk. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Equity Wednesdays are hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter, Natasha Mascarenas. We're produced by Teresa Locansolo with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week.